home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. How is it going? How are things? Things are going pretty good here. This is the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. My name is Doug, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about how a huge weight has been lifted off of our shoulders. But before we get to that, I have a correction to make. In the last episode, I talked about our van breaking down while we were on vacation visiting family. And I said that it happened on a Saturday evening. Well, my wife pointed out that it was actually a Sunday evening, which, when you think about it, makes a lot more sense, what with everything being shut down and all that. Regardless, that doesn't take away from the fact that we were stranded. And besides, the focus of that story was not the breakdown itself, but the steps that we took for the repairs. I just wanted to make sure that I corrected that mistake. It was Sunday, not Saturday. My wife also pointed out to me that I do in fact like the people's court. I thought that I made my position perfectly clear. She will be the one watching, and I will sometimes watch with her. Not necessarily something I would watch on my own, but... (sighs) Yes, for couples watching, I might actually, I don't know, enjoy watching people's court. With that out of the way, let's get to the weight that has been lifted from our shoulders. But first, I must point out that I am not a financial advisor. What I'm about to share is what is going to work for us. You may be in an entirely different situation and therefore you should talk to your own financial advisor. And if you are an adult, you really should have a financial advisor to help you plan for your retirement. I've been with the same advisor now for about 25 years, which is longer than I've known my wife. What I am about to describe got a lot of people in trouble around 2008 and was a contributing factor of the Great Recession. So there are pitfalls to avoid for sure. The Great Recession and subprime crisis are too complicated for me to talk about here. Google that stuff. Read up on it. It's something that's very important to understand. But here's a couple of the lessons from that time. You never want to be in a position where you can't afford your house payments if interest rates increase. And you don't want to be in a position where you owe more on your mortgage than what your house is worth. And this is what was happening in 2007. People were overextended. And the banks allowed that to happen. And now the chickens were coming home to roost. Now, to give you an idea of what was happening then and what's happening now with housing values, my dad passed away in 2008 and I sold his house, the house where I grew up. A year before I sold the house, it was worth about, mm, probably about 15% more. But I sold it during the recession. Okay, now, coming up on 13 years later, that house has doubled in value over what it was pre-recession. 
So are we in a bubble now? It's sort of looking that way. But will values crash again like they did in 08? (laughs) Who knows? Ask the experts, and their opinions are all over the place. So, yeah, you gotta be prepared for anything. We bought our house five years ago, just prior to the values in this area skyrocketing. It'll be nice if this is a long-term thing, because right now, the value of our house has increased by about 60% or more. And mortgage rates are at historic lows. I mean, they really can't go much lower. Again, let me give you a little perspective. I remember the 80s when mortgage rates were in the double digits. We're talking 12, 13%. In the mid-90s, when I bought my first house, my mortgage was around 7.5%, so that looked cheap at the time. Today, you can get a mortgage for under 2%. So, here's what's going on. We are coming up on the 5th anniversary of buying this house. Our mortgage term is up. So I get the paperwork in the mail. Time to renew your mortgage, check off the option you want, and mail the papers back. And that's usually the way it works if you stick with the same lender. Just check a box, sign the papers, and you're good for another five-year term or whatever you chose. But here's the thing. As I described in recent episodes of this podcast, We have some big expenses coming up, and we are still working our way out of some other debt. Paying down that debt is going well. We are pretty much on the schedule that I had planned out, and I wanted to get to a certain threshold before we spent any other money. But our furnace may not last long enough for us to reach that certain threshold. And... The longer our basement remains unfinished, the more we're going to pay for storage. So, I called the mortgage broker that we worked with five years ago to see if we could increase our principal and free up some equity. At first, I was thinking small. I just wanted enough to cover the upcoming expenses. Our payments would actually remain the same, even with that increase in principal because the interest rate is so much lower now. But we would still have that other debt, of course. But, you know, we're managing that debt well, so really, nothing was going to change in our cash flow, except now we would have that extra money for the furnace and stuff. Well, our broker had a better idea. Why don't we borrow enough to pay off all of our debts? Well, because it's a psychological thing. I mean, the goal has always been to be mortgage-free, right? To own our home, free and clear. And now we would be going backwards. It was a tough thing for me to wrap my head around at first. But here is why it makes sense. Our current debts have various interest rates. All are below 10%. In fact, more than three-quarters of our debt is around 6%. I mean, that's not too bad. But we are putting a big chunk of money towards debt repayment every week. And part of that chunk is, 
well, is disappearing into the ether going towards interest payments. And interest payments are only making the banks richer. Now, I ain't no math magician, but according to my calculations, 2% is less than 6%. So why pay 6% when we can pay only 2%? Right? It's all becoming clearer. First of all, remember that we will be getting a new furnace. We'll be getting insulation for the garage and basement, plus heating for the garage workshop, all as part of this deal. Okay. In theory, with all of our debts consolidated into the mortgage, we can take the money that we've been paying towards the credit cards, add that to the payments that we've been making on the mortgage. And those payments are going to go a lot farther now because of what we save on the interest. In fact, if we keep up the same rate of debt repayment over the five year, over the next five years, we will be completely free and clear of everything. Whereas, if we simply stayed on the same path that we've been on, we would be out of consumer debt in three years, but we would still have another four years left on our mortgage beyond that. Again, not a math magician, but five years is less than seven years. But this is where it gets exciting. If we are careful and make prudent investments, we can keep our mortgage payments where they are. We would have a longer amortization period for now. But instead of aggressively paying down the mortgage, we take that money that we were spending on debt repayment and invest it. All that investment has to do is earn more than 2%. And we're ahead of the game. Now, obviously, there is some risk to this, but there is also some growth potential. It's all about increasing our net worth. As Mama Carlson said on WKRP in Cincinnati, it's not the pluses and minuses. It's the pluses and pluses if the minuses are played correctly. Paying off our mortgage is not the end-all be-all, as long as rates are low. At the end of five years, it might make sense to pay it off in full. But during that five years, that money will be working for us, not the bank. And we will more than likely come out ahead. And if interest rates remain low, it might make more sense to extend our mortgage again. There is no hard and fast rule that we ever have to pay off our house completely. As long as we are earning higher interest, than we are paying. And at 2%, that bar is set pretty low. So needless to say, I'm excited. The goal now is to set up separate savings accounts. One for home maintenance and improvement. One for travel, like for when we visit family or friends, although it sure would be nice to get back to Europe at some point. And one for emergencies. The beauty of online banking is that it's easy to set up multiple accounts to keep money separate. And, of course, we will also set up an investment fund for our mortgage. Kind of a shadow account. 
It's a total mind shift for us to go from debt repayment mode to savings mode. But we are going to be way further ahead with this refinance than we would be if we stayed on the same path that we were on. But let me be perfectly clear here. The reason this is working for us is that interest rates are so incredibly low right now. And even with this huge increase in our mortgage principal, it is still less than half of the value of our house. So we are not overextending ourselves with the regular payments. That is, our payments are not much lower than they have been for the last five years. And we can build up our savings so we could still end up mortgage-free. But we will also have the liquidity to handle surprise expenses without resorting to the credit cards. I mean, charging up our credit cards again would defeat the whole purpose of the refinance. Do not, I repeat, do not take anything I've said here as a blueprint for yourself. It is a scenario that you can discuss with your financial advisor. You really need to talk to your own financial advisor to work out a plan that is going to work best for you. But when it comes to finances, here are some general rules of thumb. Around 30 to 35% of your gross income goes to housing. That's your mortgage or rent, your utilities. And that's the gross, not net income. That's the guideline banks use. And we all know how realistic that is given the current housing prices. Around 10% of your gross income goes to retirement. And around 10 to 20% goes to your car. That will include payments and repairs and, I assume, gas. So, I don't know. I, I guess that's transportation. Again, I think this is a bank guideline. And the experts say you should also budget 1% of the value of your home for maintenance and repairs each year. So that's on a $200,000 home, that's $2,000 a year. You won't necessarily spend that amount each year, but you will build up a reserve fund to cover major expenses like, say, I don't know, a new furnace. That doesn't leave a whole lot of money for groceries, or travel, or life. I did come across this other guideline called the 70-20-10 rule, which is much simpler. 70% goes to your living expenses. Housing, food, utilities, transportation, all of that, that's 70%. 20% goes for savings. That's your retirement fund and your rainy day fund. And 10% is allocated for debts like car payments and other loans. I mean, I guess they assume that you are going to be carrying some sort of debt anyway. So I guess if you don't have any car payments or other debts, that 10% could go towards savings. But eh, who's kidding who? You will more likely need that for the first category. But at least 70 20 10 is easy enough to remember. There is no shortage of financial advice on the internet. 
but you really should develop a relationship with a financial advisor who is going to understand your specific situation and can help develop a budget and savings plan that is going to work best for you, your family, and your future. And sometimes the best plan may be counterintuitive. Do I like increasing the amount of our mortgage this late in my working life? Hells no. But after taking the time to crunch the numbers, it turns out that for us, increasing that one debt is the easiest way to decrease all debt and is the best way for us to increase our net worth. All right, I would like to switch gears now and share something that happened in the spring of last year. Now, this is not a political podcast, but I suppose the message here could apply to politics in the broad sense. And there is something very Canadian about this story. I was on my way home from work, driving on a four-lane road, two lanes in each direction. Traffic was light, and I was behind a delivery truck. And I was behind this truck for quite a while, but I found that I kept sort of creeping up on him. So at some point, I got over into the left lane. This isn't a situation where you keep right except to pass, so I wasn't looking to blow past him, but I was traveling slightly faster than he was. I certainly wasn't looking to get a speeding ticket. Lord knows, over the years, my lead foot has done its share to subsidize local police departments. But yeah, I was going over the speed limit, just not to the extent that I would get pulled over. And the driver of the delivery truck was probably going about the speed limit. I knew that a couple miles ahead, the right lane was closed for some road work. And we would have to get over sooner or later anyway. And through this stretch, had he sped up and got slightly ahead of me, I would have slowed down to let him in. But he didn't. So as we approached the road work, I was ahead of him. His front bumper was probably even with my back bumper. At this point, I expected him to simply tuck in behind me, but instead... As he got to the point where his lane was ending, he floored it and zipped over in front of me, causing me to slam on my brakes. Now, it is quite possible that I overreacted. Maybe a collision wasn't imminent. Or maybe it was. I don't know. It was too close to call. So now, I'm kind of shaken and angry. I fumbled for my phone, which was in a holder clipped to the air vent. And I hastily snapped a couple of pictures because this guy was a lunatic and if there was a how's my driving label on the back of his truck by gum, I was going to call that number. There wasn't, of course. But you know, there is the truck number. There's the license plate. There's other ways to identify this lunatic. I could still call his company or I could stoop to the level of posting on social media. I don't know exactly what I was thinking. But chances are that by the time I got home, I would have cooled off, the anger would have passed, and that would have been the end of it. But I didn't get home. 
When he pulled off into the parking lot of a convenience store, I decided to follow him. I guess I wanted to make sure that he knew that he almost caused an accident and he would have been the one at fault. So as he gets out of his truck and goes to open the back, I circle around and I roll my window down. You realize that I had the right of way back there. It was your lane that ended, I shouted at him. I don't know what I expected him to say. I guess maybe sorry. At which point I probably would have said something douchey like, well, learn to drive and then gone on my way because, you know, there's no one tougher than a guy in a minivan shouting out of the window. In my defense, though, getting out of the van would have been stupid. That would have been a good way to get into a physical confrontation, which I most certainly would have lost since physical confrontation is not my forte. So judge me however you want. And let's be honest here, there are some places where I would have risked getting shot. So, yeah, I kindly informed him that I had the right of way. At which point he had the audacity to start yelling at me. What the F was I doing? I was in his blind spot for miles. He thought I was turning. He didn't know what the heck I was doing and so on and so forth with some expletives thrown in here and there. Yeah, turns out I wasn't the only one who was angry. Well then, with all due respect, good sir, by your own admission, you were well aware of my presence in that lane. Maybe I didn't use those exact words. But my argument was that if he knew that I was in his blind spot, he knew I was in his blind spot. He knew I was there. And certainly the way he sped up to cut over into my lane was proof of that. But it is beginning to dawn on me that he had a point. I do know from the a couple of occasions where I've driven U-Hauls, it is very irritating when someone is in your blind spot. I started to realize that perhaps I was not blameless. So I pivoted. Oh man. I didn't know I was in your blind spot, but I guess maybe I was. I'm sorry. Usually I am try to be aware of my visibility around trucks. I didn't realize you couldn't see me. I, I apologize. To which he responded, well, I guess I wasn't being too smart either. It was stupid of me. I don't need to get into an accident on the job. Please accept my apology. And thus it ended. In the most stereotypical Canadian way with both of us apologizing to each other. The reason I'm sharing this is not political. This isn't a left thing or a right thing. It's simply a life thing. It applies to so many situations. Because if you break it down, we both thought that we were right. We both blamed the other side. We had a confrontation, but we listened to each other. We both realized that we shared the blame. And we both apologized. And one would think that we both learned something from this incident so a similar situation isn't repeated. So yeah, turns out you can be angry and you can be totally justified in your anger. 
But if you each listen to what the other side is saying and accept some responsibility, you can find common ground. And lunatics and douches can actually share the road. And with that, I would like to thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. The website is thumbandhammer.com and you can find me on Twitter at Thumb and Hammer. Before I go, I do want to say a quick thank you. I don't do Patreon because, quite honestly, I struggle to produce regular content as it is, never mind producing special content for patrons. So instead, I use a service called Buy Me a Coffee. The premise is simple. If you like what you hear on the podcast or what you see and read on the website, you can contribute a few bucks. Enough for a coffee or two to help support the website. And you can find the link in the footer of thumbandhammer.com and in the show notes for this episode. The Thumb and Hammer Empire costs quite a bit more to maintain than it generates an income. And any contributions made through Buy Me a Coffee helps to offset those costs. Just as shopping through my Amazon links will as well. I'm not saying this necessarily as a call to action. It's just that recently I have received a few coffees for which I am truly grateful. And I want to take the opportunity to say thank you. And if you have purchased anything on Amazon after clicking through one of the links or banners on the website, again, thank you. It really does help. And I truly appreciate it. That will do it for this week. I will talk to you again soon. Until next time. Cheers. Oh, hey, if you're interested in podcasts about real estate, you might want to check out Bono's Real Estate. Check out Winnipeg's Real Estate Podcast with weekly market updates, news, and advice for home buyers and sellers. Produced by award-winning agent Bo Kaufman of Remax Performance Realty. Available on all major podcatchers, including iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Find them at bonos.homes slash podcast. Missing an episode could be hazardous to your wealth.